Hello, Business Ask Me Anything feed. We have the first question that comes to us from Pratik. What do I feel is the most beneficial professional development that someone activity that someone can work on now that can affect their short-term and long-term career? And so the one that comes to mind for me is execution. Get really good at doing exactly what you say you're going to do. So that might mean saying yes to a smaller project, yet delivering on it on time, on budget, and exactly what was requested. I find that execution of no matter what you're talking about is the differentiator to those that lead and to those that follow, those that have the ability to um, deliver on the results versus those that talk about getting close, those that have um, worked through the obstacles and those that have faltered or allowed excuses to be the truth of why success was not the option. Execution is your greatest developmental activity that you could work on now and in the future. All right there, number two question on Business Ask Me Anything from Mahmuda. He asks, or she asks, what, how can someone start knowing which path to take in their career? For me, it's looking at what you enjoy doing right now. Because there's certain things that people don't want to do. There's like, I don't want to work in healthcare. Like in regards to like patients, I don't want to see patients um, back in high school and college. I didn't have any desire to want to learn like anatomy. And so for me, I knew, I know immediately that those aren't courses that I want to take myself into, nor is it industry from a career perspective that I want to be in because I don't even like it when I'm not even really in it, just looking on the outside. Um, and so for a lot of people, not knowing what you don't want to do is just as important as knowing what you do want to do from a career perspective. And for a lot of people, they might have a part-time job um, while they're going through high school or college, and that might be a good indicator for themselves of what they should or could be doing. And then as they look at some of the different avenues or what people are doing, what's their role like, that will help them identify where they should or should not be. Um, I really enjoy people, meeting new people on a regular basis. I enjoy networking. So a sales and marketing role is really ideal for me based on my personality, based on who I am. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what do we enjoy doing? What do we not want to do? And with what I am doing right now, what are some of the various similar roles that could match that desire? Sherm's out. All right, number third, number three question, the third one comes from the question, what are the top five tools that I'm using in my current career? Um, now I'll start with some of the abstract tools. So number one is a cell phone. Number two is a laptop. Number three is my car. Number four is 
um, some specific software that we use for for planning out projects. And then finally, number five is the last tool that I use is social media creating of content. So to answer your question in a different format, what are the top five tools that I'm using that are digital tools to make my life more um, efficient? First one is going to be um, Outlook. I use that for calendaring and I use it also for email. And the calendaring where it's valuable is I'm able to then um, open up my calendar and grant access to um, my staff and also the coworker, my coworkers, the, my, my partners, so that way they can have access to my calendar, know where I'm going to be. Um, so first one's Outlook. Number two is a planning tool that we use that allows us to be able to, to run some hypotheticals, to be able to run some different um, scenarios for clients on what their financial projections should look like. That's number two. Number three is being able to, um, excuse me, um, LinkedIn is a powerful tool for prospecting in a digital format. At the same time, I found it to be very powerful as I'm putting out content leveraging Grapevine 6. Let's just call this under uh, LinkedIn, which is an app that has, or not an app, a website that has um, millions of articles that I can grab from and then post up that's already gone through the compliance process um, through the company that I represent, which is really, really powerful. And then number fourth, or excuse me, the fourth one would be the internet. Being able to do a lot of research ahead of time before I sit down with someone is extremely powerful and makes me extremely effective when I'm engaged with people. And then finally, what I would say digitally is we use some different software to either do some side-by-side analysis we use some software uh, for client management. Salesforce is a pretty common one or some kind of client retention management system. Um, those are really powerful because you can put notes there. You can um, sometimes even invite um, clients to be able to update their information in that format as well. And so those are the five top five tools. Hello, question number four from Business Ask Me Anything is, from Useman, he asks, <clears throat> or she asks, when it comes to taking responsibility for all the things that you need to do, like going to meetings, personal development, how do you balance it all? So ultimately, this question comes down to time management. Now, there is um, a great principle from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and that's put first things first. And so the analogy starts with if you had a bucket, and then you had next to it a huge jar of rocks, and then next to that a huge jar of sand, and next to that a huge jar of water. Which one would you start with first? Now, a lot of people end up putting the sand and then the water and then the rocks on top, and they realize they run out of room. Where what you want to be able to do is put in the rocks first, put in the sand, you can actually shake the bucket, and the sand will fit in between the crevices and the holes within the rocks. And then finally the water can get poured on top and you can actually fit all of that inside. However, the only way to be able to do that is you're putting the most important things first. So how does that work into your calendar for a lot of us? 
is that you're putting in the things that you find of most importance. So that can be family time on you know Saturdays and Sundays and a certain night. It could be a date night. It could be making sure that you're exercising on a regular basis, whatever that might mean to you. And making sure that those are calendar blocked off to be able to make sure that they get accomplished. And then the other things you can fill in with um, the sand would be things like, you know, watching a movie or going to a musical, hanging out with friends. Those are things that sand-wise can just get filled in. And then the water is just that playtime going off for a round of golf, uh, maybe going for a going for a drive walking around nature and so those things that get done that are considered the water to you are just those extra things that kind of get fit in a lot of times people have a tendency to treat things that are really sand um, like they're rocks and they aren't so I'll give you an example they might think that um, going off for a round of golf is a rock and in reality it's more like sand it should should just get filtered in if necessary and that's really how I end up approaching the week and the month typically what I'll do is I'll look 90 days out I'll look at some different networking meetings that I want to go to for work to be prospecting to be seen to to get to know other people and for me, number one is, remember, I love people. I'm 100% extrovert. I find a lot of value in meeting strangers and getting to know them. Not everybody has that kind of personality or that attitude. So if you don't enjoy networking meetings, then don't put that onto your calendar. Remember, only put in things that you find of importance. And then typically on Saturday, Sundays, I have where I go to church, worship hours, and then Monday night's family night, Tuesday night's date night, Wednesday night I volunteer at the um, youth youth group, Thursday night, that's typically when I do a networking meeting, and then Friday I'll typically leave the office around four o'clock. And there's certain things that are somewhat evergreen. So every one, uh, Friday at noon, I do a um, social media, or actually it's business strategy session. I'll do it live on Facebook, do it live on Instagram, and also do it live in person if people want to come and participate and ask questions. And then the other thing that I started doing recently was every Mondays at 8.30, I would then run a um, radio show called You're On With On, where I'm interviewing local business owners in the area, getting to hear their story, and then they have the opportunity to give advice to aspiring um, entrepreneurs. And so those are things that are, are fun for me, and I, I put them in as my blocks, and then I, I mix in my exercise in between all those other things. For me, that works. For other people, you want to be able to identify the things that are important to you how do you reduce stress? Does that mean you need to be able to schedule a massage every single month? And so as you look 90 days out, I find it's important to make sure that you're putting in those critical pieces. And if you have a significant person in your life that you need to move your calendar so that way the two of you are balanced together, it becomes almost an activity that's not done on your own. It's actually done with someone else. And so this can be a great opportunity to review with a spouse, with the family, with a boyfriend or girlfriend, with children. So that way everyone's aware of what's going on. 
Now, digitally, we have the opportunity to use, you know, one calendar. And so, you know, it can all be at Google. We can give access and permissions to each other or, you know, an Apple calendar. And that can be a great way to be able to make sure that you're connecting with everybody and you can see in color where everyone's going to be. And that will help you feel like you're able to stay on top of everything. The other thing that I've had, I'm learning as well and have had to learn over the last several years as I've gotten more busy um, sitting on boards and volunteering my time and work and, um, and family of four, four sons. And um, so what happens there is I've had to learn to say no. So that's another thing of time management for a lot of people that they don't take into consideration is saying no to those different activities that really can't get fit in. So for example, if someone wants to meet me on a Monday night at seven, the answer is going to be no, that's family time. And that's how I end up balancing out my time now is being able to say no versus before I would work at trying to squeeze everybody in and it just doesn't work out that way. Um, there's that old phrase, it's better to have a fully kicking half versus a half haphazardly done whole. What are your priorities? Sure, hope. Business Ask Me Anything, question number five, Krista asks, how do I define personal success? Now, I use the definition of Earl Nightingale's definition of success, and that's it's deliberately doing what you intend to do. So in simple words, success to me is someone that says that they want to do something and then goes about and doing is, and is doing it. So for professionally, it's the person that says, I want to be a teacher and decides to go to college study to be a teacher, and then gets a job and is working as a teacher. On the personal side, the tough thing that people have is they have expectations. In their mind, they have this timeline that they should be married, they should have children, or they should, you know, be living in this kind of place or in that kind of house or driving this kind of car, and they couldn't be further from the truth. For a lot of people, they need to abandon those expectations of a timeline. Timelines don't exist. There's this old phrase back in the 30s and 40s that life begins at 40. And it still holds true today. I'd say for some people, it actually starts at 50. Because they're at the experience, they're at the life change, um, they're they're at a change in their life where they decide that they want to start moving in a way that's meaningful for them and no longer live in these expectations of someone else or what they think society might want them to do and and that can be extremely freeing. On the personal side, I would say the same thing. It's the person that's comfortable with where they are today and comfortable with knowing that they have miles to go. It's like a yin and a yang. You're, you're, you're content with where you are. At the same time, you're pushing yourself to be better. And so it's the person that says, I want to exercise. I want to be in good physical shape. I want to be able to run a mile without having to stop. And then the person that decides to then do something about it. 
It doesn't mean that you're in your ideal weight or that you've gotten those pair of pants or into that skirt. It's that you're doing the actions today that are going to lead to those successes tomorrow. For me, it goes back to that book, Chop Wood, Carry Water. It's this idea that this person wants to become a samurai archer and realizes it's going to take over 10 years. And part of that daily process is to chop wood and carry water for the village and for the muscle stamina. The same thing works in our lives, that we on a daily basis need to be chopping wood and carrying water. So personally, it might be listening to a podcast, it might be um, reading a book, it might be talking to or interviewing someone about a career that you might be interested in the future and, and doing that on a, on a weekly basis. It might be going to networking meetings and starting to get to know people. There's a common phrase in networking is network until you no longer have to introduce yourself. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what are we working on? What do we consider to be personal success? And cautionary note to that question, the answer that you might be thinking of, if you put it in superficial things, know that those superficial things will not give you the satisfaction once they've arrived. Sherm's out. Business Ask Me Anything. Question number six comes from Hammond, and they ask, how can a young person deal with a downfall in their career? Number one, first thing is to understand that downfalls are going to happen in your career. If you, if, if you ever had the opportunity to play the board game Life, even there in that board game, they, they even have the opportunity where you had to start, or excuse me, stop the game as part of your, part of your turns and actually re-pick a career. And again, it, it's a game of chance, so sometimes you didn't. And that, to me, is a perfect identifier how some people's careers are. I'll give you an example of a, a business owner that I recently sat down with a couple months ago. And this person was a, a pilot for a very major airlines for over 15 years. Was actually the union representative as well as a pilot um, for, uh, for, the, for the airline. And all of a sudden, after 15 years, unfortunately, developed vertigo. If you're not familiar with vertigo, you don't know up and down, you get dizzy. That's not very safe to be flying hundreds of people thousands of miles high up in the air, thousands of feet in the air. And so what happened is he got grounded. Along the process, he had always been a part of the music scene and got into a little bit of production. And so immediately when he realized that the vertigo wasn't going away and that there was a very highly unlikely uh, possibility that he'd be able to fly, he shifted completely into his production business. And so he feels grateful that he's able to work on two of his loves when it comes to his career, two of his passions. And he doesn't lament that he can no longer fly because it's completely out of his control. That's how I think a lot of times a downfall in your career can happen, no matter at what stage. And so if you're a young person, one thing to understand is that you're going to make mistakes. You're 
you're going to make a wrong move. You're going to hire the wrong person. You're going to give the wrong feedback. You, You might have fired the wrong person. Understand that those are building blocks for your career in order for you to get better. Yes, I know you've heard the cliche that failure is the greatest teacher. It's more important than that. It's understanding that these downfalls are a part of who you are and making sure that you're going down the right path. I find for a lot of people that when they find themselves in a downfallen state, as long as they can keep their ego in check, as long as they can keep their self-confidence high, and I know it's hard not to when your bank account isn't as high as it needs to be, or you might be withdrawing faster than you're replenishing. It's a great opportunity in that downfallen moment to give yourself a gut check and say, do I really want to be doing this? Is it worth it? And if you can stare that in the face and say, yes, I still want to move forward with this, then keep doing it. If you have an opportunity to read the story of Buck Knight, the founder of Nike, you'll realize that in the first 10 years, it wasn't all rainbows and sunshine. It was about 12 years before that company really took off, even though they were selling about 4 million, 5 million in sales those you know years 10 to 12. And even in the first parts of the years, he actually went back to school. He actually worked at companies and, or I mean, excuse me, he worked at companies, then he went back and he taught at school while still running Nike on the side. It's not failure if you need to take that figurative step sideways or that step backwards in order to get yourself where you want to go. Business Ask Me Anything, question number seven comes from John. Do you consider what other people think as you make decisions for your career? And the answer to that is absolutely not. I don't care what other people think about my choices for my career. Now, let me preface that with also saying though, I am married. So I think about how my decision will affect my spouse. At the same time, I wanna talk to her about promotions, I wanna talk to her about maybe some job changes um, or some career changes. Those are important conversations for us to have because she and I are partners in this life together and she'll think about some different perspectives that I might not be considering. When I think also about the decisions that we're making, I will think about our children. We have four sons, ages 13 all the way down to one year old. And so we want to think about how's that going to affect them on the different decisions that we might be making. And But when I think about making a decision, let's say to to go to a different company, um, are there some people in my network that I respect their opinion? Absolutely. If I, you know, reach out to mom or dad, I might say, hey, this is what I'm thinking of doing. What are your thoughts? Now understand that my parents, uh, mine personally, are more, are, are more set on security and steadiness and aren't as in tune with the entrepreneurial life that I'm accustomed to. So I, I take their, their opinions with what I like to call the Cinderella method. Now I'm respectfully coming to them for advice and, or, or their thoughts, their opinions, but if the shoe fits, I take it. If it doesn't, 
then I throw it out. I don't take it personal and nor should they. Just because I ask for your opinion doesn't mean I'm going to follow it. I think where John's coming from, though, is am I concerned what other people might think? So, for example, leave a job. And let, let, let's just use it personally right now. Right now, today, July 6, 2018, I'm leaving an industry where for the last few years I've made over $120,000 in. And right now I'm in a potential partnership. I, um, I'm actually being courted by another firm. Um, where that would be the base with plus commission. So we're looking at where anywhere between 100 to 180,000 as I continue to build it up. And I'm looking at completely leaving and walking away from the industry and going into uh, leadership development and also running my own personal brand of motivational speaking, writing my books, and a person, you know, just a, the Sherman brand, if you will. And so, do I care that anybody else says, oh, well, that's you're just trying to copy Tony Robbins? Absolutely. Sure. Heck, I would love to copy Tony Robbins, but no, I'm not there. Um, someone might say, you're never going to make it. It's super, super competitive. It's a dime a dozen. You got nothing special. Someone could say that. Absolutely, they could, John. I don't care about what they say. I know me, and I know my skills, and I know what I'm going to deliver on, and I know what I want to be doing. It's like, um, it, for example, it's like someone saying to LeBron James, well, your golf game's not that good. I mean, your basketball game's sick, but your golf game sucks. Who cares if his golf game sucks? He could, he could be the worst athlete in every single sport outside of basketball, and that means absolutely nothing because he's got a specific skill set in a specific area. And that's exactly how it is with us in our careers. We might not be the LeBron James of the accounting world, but we can be extremely exceptional at being an accountant and absolutely love what we do. So the question that I'd ask you, John, is do you take people's opinions and allow their thoughts or what you think they might be thinking and change your decisions based on those notions? And to th think about that for a little bit there, is that people will change their decisions. They will make decisions because they think what others might be thinking. That to me is absolutely crazy. Because number one, you probably haven't even asked those people what they actually think. You just think in your mind that they have a negative response to what you want to do. We got to live our own lives and have our own decisions. Sherm's out. Business Ask Me Anything, number eight, Maria87 asks, how can employers engage employees in their professional development process, the three stages of planning, implementation, and engagement? So first, let me come from this perspective, is what employers need to be doing is actually taking their managers and leadership through performance appraisal and feedback sessions and then following up on those training processes in order to make sure that all these leaders and managers actually know what the heck they're doing when it comes to giving 
critical and necessary feedback. If that feedback loop is not properly presented, you're not going to have the growth and development that's needed. So it doesn't matter that they have an annual review or a quarterly conversation about that employee's professional development if the person that they're sitting across from, number one, they don't trust, number two, they don't respect, number three, doesn't actually help them. It'll actually be a detriment to the organization if that is not properly done. And you'll find that each leader has their own style. There needs to be a more cohesive standard for a multitude of organizations when it comes to the development of their people. Companies need to be focused on building of their people. It's that common phrase of, if we don't, uh, the concern is from, you know, from the higher ups, what if we train them and they leave? The response is, what if we don't train them and they stay? Be focused on training your people. So when it comes to that first step of planning, it's a open conversation where 60 to 70% of that conversation needs to be spoken by the employee. The problem with a lot of managers is they end up telling the employee what they should be doing. That's a problem. When you're setting the goals for that employee, they are not bought in. Now, if their goals can roll up into and equate to the overall goal of the team or the organization, phenomenal. That means those employees are tapped into the market and where they see the growth to be. There needs to be growth. Where there's lack of growth, there's complacency. There's contentness in a negative way. Although both of those words can be a positive thing as well. So in that planning process, you need to, we, the organizations need to teach these managers and leaders how to effectively facilitate that conversation so it's open and they can get what they need to in helping that person grow. Now, yes, it's nice to have five or 10 year plans. Let's be real. You want to make sure that that person is developing faster than what there's going to be in five years. So what are they going to do in the next 90? What are they going to do in the next six months? What are they going to do at the end of this year? Are they going to go to some conferences? Are they going to do some designation learning? Are they going to learn something that's specific to the industry? What specific things are they going to do that's driven by them? And what can the organization then provide to them to help them succeed? Next is, um, the next stage is the implementation stage. So here is actually having the employee report back to the manager what they've done for their personal development. And then having that employee and the manager make sure that something's booked in the next month or the next quarter. It has to be every three months that you're checking in with your employees to help them grow professionally. If not, you're gonna have the exact same employee developmentally, 
year over year. And all that's happened is they just kept clocking in. They aren't better. They don't learn through osmosis. Just because someone walks through high school doesn't mean that they learned anything. You have many children that can go through school and still be illiterate at the end of it. Managers, leaders need to have at least quarterly conversations with their employees, their direct reports, on how their progress is coming along. Not about the results of what you're talking about, about their specific development. How did that conference go? Tell me what you learned. What was your most valuable um, conversation? Tell me about people that you've met in our industry. Who do you know? Where do you think the industry's headed? Getting their feedback, getting their thoughts, getting their expertise, hearing them talk about their growth is extremely critical. <clears throat> Lastly, evaluation. This one, I would say, is completely dropped in most organizations. There's very few organizations that are so focused on the development of their people that that's what they actually hold out there. It's that evaluation that's so critical. People often leave it to the performance review where it's tied into some kind of bonus or compensation structure. This needs to be implemented without that in the midst. It, in order for it to be truly successful, it should, should be delivered completely on its own. It should be delivered in the 11th or latest 12th month of the follow-up. You said you wanted to accomplish this. Throughout the year, we were talking in this date, that date, and this other date about your development. How is it going? What more do you need from us? Do you need us to belong to the local chamber of commerce, to be able to belong to the local young professionals in order for you to get a larger network? It's extremely critical that you, as an employer, can help your employees grow and develop professionally so that way they're better employees in the successive years that you have them. The better your employees are, the better your organization. The more connected your employees are, the more connected your organization will be for opportunities, for talent, and for growth. Sherm's out. Business Ask Me Anything number nine. Mary asks... Are there some books that you'd recommend in regards to professional development, specifically in the category of career progression? And so, Mary, the answer that I would give you, number one, the, one of the best books out there about career progression is What Colors Your Parachute? Now, I know when you Google that, um, that book, you're going to find it's about getting the next job. The principles that are outlined in that book, by the way, they've updated multiple new versions and really have transformed it to a, a lot more of a stronger digital base when that didn't exist over 20 years ago. And so that book, I find for a lot of people, it only gets read when they've gotten laid off, they've quit, they got fired. And so it's in this abrupt moment that they're seeking that advice where I think it's more valuable to have that information in your mind so you can feel more in control of your career 
to move it in a way that's meaningful. And they even have a spot in there about entrepreneurship. If you want to go run your own business, it basically gives you some of the building blocks and steps on what you can start doing to identify what are those specific things that you should you could be doing based on your interests and passions and skills. And I find for a lot of people, it's better to be in a power of position knowing that information than uh, uh, cowering in weakness because you're forced to have to know that information. The next one that comes to mind is from the, it's just uh, a small little story in the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill about how this uh, mother and son help him get his first job by researching. And then she ends up starting a business and helping other people recognize um, how to properly present themselves when it comes to interviewing. Uh, Another book that I really like is called Charisma. I think a lot of times when people hear that word, they think about those uber gregarious, 100% extrovert, speaking on stage individuals where that couldn't be further from the truth and reality that charisma is about capturing people's attention. And again, that's best done one by one. Even some of your best public speakers will say when they're searching an audience, they'll find one person that's really getting their material, really nodding their head along with what's going on, and they almost just have a private conversation with that person, even though it's to an entire room or an entire audience. And that can be extremely powerful is understanding how you can leverage and develop the skill set of charisma. Hopefully those books are helpful. Sherm's out. Business asked me anything. Question number 10. Sarah asks, given the facts of our existence, what can someone do to have the creative life that they want? Well, Sarah, it's pretty simple in that you do what you think, being creative, you can do. And I know for a lot of people, they hear that and they go, yeah, but there really is no but here. Whatever the excuses you might say to yourself, um, so for example, I want to live in Hawaii, then what can you do? Um, Well, I live though in the Midwest, I don't have a job there. Again, what can you do? I think one of the biggest problems we have with humanity is we don't actually spend enough time thinking of the solutions to our problems. So let me give you an example of this idea that I'm a family person, I pull on a really good income, I have a house, I have tons of stuff, kids are in schools, and I live on the other side of the world. I live in in France, and we want to live in Hawaii. So the first thing that I would do is I would research. I would I would look at my resume, I would update my resume, and then I would start sending out my resume to jobs online to Hawaii. I would reach out to LinkedIn privately and to my network and say, who do you know that works in Hawaii? How can I get a job there? And I would start doing that with some of my closest friends, some of my closest professional colleagues. Next thing I would do is I would talk to my spouse. What do you think about Hawaii? I'd make sure that they are all in. We're concerned about the school system there. Okay, I would start researching all the school systems that exist in Hawaii. 
there's Maui, there's Oahu, there's the Big Island. There's multitude of different islands that exist that's not just Honolulu, Hawaii. Okay, so number one is after doing some research, after updating my resume, I'm sending it out. I don't hear anything yet. Talk it over with my spouse. They're not game. Again, what are some different things that we could be doing to get ourselves there? Do we put our house up on the market? Do we start selling things on Facebook Marketplace, on Craigslist, on eBay? Sell everything that we own. If people look at their houses and they were to sell everything, they'd probably get somewhere close to around um, two to four thousand bucks US dollars. And that could be maybe the tickets one way to Hawaii. Now there are immigrants, a lot of people will say, well, I, I, you know, I can't do that. I don't speak English. Again, then start learning English. Take classes, buy uh, Rosetta Stone, download an app, start learning English. Just because you have this aspiration doesn't mean it has to happen overnight. Imagine that's your dream to live in Hawaii. You live in France right now and it took you four years to get there. I don't find a problem with that. Life is short, yet it is long as well. And if it's something that you truly want, does it really matter that you need to wait four years to get there? I don't think so. And so there's a huge opportunity to start doing those things. And now somebody might fly in the face and say, well, you know, all that's nice and good, Sherm, but you don't understand my circumstances. Then again, tell me your circumstances and then what are you gonna do about it? It's still important that if it's truly what you want, then figure out the solution. One of the differences between those in mathematics is that with a problem that's difficult to, uh, um, to solve, a good, mathemat- good math student, we're talking about students, not a, not a, you know, a career in mathematics, a, a student will spend anywhere between 15 to 20 minutes on one problem to figure out a solution versus those that are not very good at mathematics will barely even spend two minutes. When it comes to your life, how much time are you willing to put towards finding the solutions for what you want? Business Ask Me Anything, question number 11 comes from Alex Lee, and they ask, why is it important to come out of your comfort zone professionally? And I'm gonna go back to that common phrase that people are familiar with, it's that it's not so much what you know as who you know. So professionally, you're not gonna be aware of different opportunities, even at your own company, if you don't know the right people. A lot of organizations, the larger that they become, the more silo that they become based on the different departments. And so if you're looking for promotion to get to that managerial role, and you don't mind going to a different department, if let's say you're in sales and marketing, you don't mind going to human resource management, you don't mind going to retail, you don't mind going from you know uh, B2B, like a business to business sales, and going to a business to company, or consumer, excuse me, a B2C scenario, then you might not know of those opportunities that exist at your own organization if you're not well connected. The same thing functions outside of your company. If you don't know what your uh, competitors are doing, what the pulse is, 
um, the go-getters in your own community, at other organizations within your industry, then you're missing out on a great opportunity to start learning about different opportunities. And so a lot of times for people, they'll have lunch with the same people every single day or every single week. They'll get in this rut of the same professional individuals. And you need to consistently be adding new people to your network. Now, you don't need to be the most outgoing individual. You can leverage LinkedIn. When you meet people at a networking event, connect with one person. <clears throat> if you go to an industry conf conference and you talk to someone, um, again, link connect with them via LinkedIn, and now you can start sending um, DMs to them uh, via LinkedIn messages back and forth and really getting to know people and start establishing a relationship in a digital world. And so social media, and let's just call it LinkedIn because it's one of the best professional social tools out there, allows an introvert to be portrayed as an extrovert. You can be sharing articles that you find interesting based on your profession, based on your industry, based on your hobbies, and start building a community of individuals that also have the same interests. And again, you're doing this all based on what you're sharing and what you're liking and what you're commenting on. And, it, and again, just to, to give it some context, it doesn't need to be that you're spending hours on end on these tools. It could be that you're coming into the office and the, for the first 10 minutes, you're responding to messages, you're responding to notifications and LinkedIn. Um, uh, you're using an app that helps you per, um, schedule out um, various articles that are going to be posted out throughout the week, throughout the you know next month, so that way it seems like you're consistently putting things out when all that you're using is you're leveraging a tool in order to post on LinkedIn. That is where the benefits of being able to get outside of your comfort zone and building a network can be extremely powerful. It's about opportunity. And your greatest asset to know of opportunities are other people. Business Ask Me Anything number 12 comes from Rana XP. And they ask, when I, when I mean take control of your career, is that for people that are, haven't even started their career yet or those that are already established and looking for that next move? To answer that, Rana, I will say that it's about anybody, no matter what stage you are in your career. It's about taking decisions and actions that are going to put you in the driver's seat. Now, it doesn't mean that just because you decide to take that, that step to make decisions to move your career means that you're not immune to layoffs and downturns and the recession or the desire to run your own business and to be your own boss. What I mean by taking control of your career is looking at what you love to do, looking at your passions, looking at different tasks, what gives you energy, what gets you excited. <clears throat> if you haven't worked yet, what, what, again, when you look at school, if you're going to school, what are you enjoying learning about? What do you enjoy, enjoy doing? Do you like working in a team? Um, what different things have you done 
outside of school? Have you gotten involved with different um, clubs and organizations? And were you more of a leadership role? And the next step then is to work. For those that are already in their career, it's looking at their career and saying, okay, my role, what am I doing? What am I enjoying? Is all of it what I expected myself to be doing? And with my skills that I have acquired, where's the best place to deploy them? And is it in my role? Do I need a different role? Should I be looking for a promotion? Should I be looking for something that's more managerial? Should I look for leadership? And then finding out gaps that might exist. If, let's say, you're weak on the technical side, then maybe going back to school might be valuable. Maybe taking some night classes, maybe going to industry conferences, maybe reading magazines, podcasts, etc. There's so many ways to be the driver of learning by having that student mentality throughout your entire career. And the beauty is that we have the internet, which has access to almost everything we want to know if you have that learner's hat on in order to better yourself. And again, it can be five or 10 minutes every single day. Fast forward that five years from now, you're going to know a multitude of information about your industry, about your career, about the companies that exist in order for you to be seen as an expert in your in your industry. So whether you're new or seasoned, what are you doing to take control of your career? Business asks me anything. Question number 13 comes from Access Fool. They ask, from my personal experience, what is the most common obstacle people will face as they go throughout their career development? and what's kind of most common for all. So I'm gonna answer these questions as what, I, what I've seen to be the most common. The biggest obstacle people have is they think that the, the first job that they pick, the first company that they pick, will be their entire career. It's very uncommon to pick one employer and be there your entire career. So the preparation needs to be, the, the obstacle is that people are not prepared for the seven to 12 different changes that are gonna, going to occur in their career. And some of it's gonna be run because of the company. The company says, hey, you know what? We're getting rid of this entire department and moving it overseas, so you're, you're all fired. Severance package, here it comes. Others, it's going to be, you decide, you know what? I don't like the leadership that's here. I want to leave. I don't think they have the employee's best interest in mind. And I know that there's better leaders out there that can develop me to where I want to go. So the obstacle that that's created there is that most people are not ready to move. They haven't built the right network. They haven't connected with the right individuals. Right individuals, I'd say, are other people that are in charge of hiring, whether that's recruiter, recruiters, headhunters, or other department heads at other organizations. So they're just their network sucks. They don't have the right connections. It goes back to that common adage, it's not so much who you know, it's not so much what you know as who you know. Opportunity is gonna arise because you know the right people. The next um, obstacle people face is they treat their education as done. 
they're not they do not have that student mentality in learning so you want to be constantly looking for ways to develop professionally reading trade magazines going to industry conferences listening to podcasts listening to audiobooks figuring out ways that you can improve next is um obstacle that people run into is they think just by working hard they're gonna climb the corporate ladder that couldn't be farther from the truth those that know how to run the corporate ladder are doing so deliberately they're finding out the job description of where they want to go next they talk with their manager saying that they want to get to that next promotion they want to be able to have their their assistance the buy-in that they're gonna help them get to where they want to go they're going to talk with other people in the organization so that way they're well known and they're going to look for opportunities to say yes to other projects in order to help themselves grow and develop and get to that next level it's not going to happen by accident they're going to take a proactive stance to it the next one is the biggest obstacle is people are not ready for the failures that are going they're going to uh, incur in their career they think because they might have gotten a master's degree or a PhD or even an undergraduate degree that they're going to be immune to making professional mistakes or missteps or setbacks you're going to be flawed you're going to make mistakes you're gonna hire the wrong person you're gonna say the wrong things you're gonna fire the wrong person you're going to spend a ton of time on a project that's going to fail you're gonna spend a ton of time um, training and developing someone that decides to quit um, you're going to train another person that decides to stay and they they are not the right person in the right position and so in all that learning all that mistakes you're going to grow and develop people need to understand that those setbacks those mistakes are to help them be better and the last thing that i would say is it's more like you're grabbing different skills at various positions of your career at different companies and different roles to make a better version of yourself so remember that you are a work in progress and you need to find happiness in that space terms out business ask me anything question number 14 comes from blarts how can a freelancer continue to develop without or progress without settling into a comfort zone. So one of the things for freelancers is that they love the autonomy. They love being their own boss. They're really entrepreneurial. The difference between a freelancer and entrepreneurial, in my opinion, is the tenacity and the business acumen, business skills. And what I mean by that is a lot of times in my stance, freelancers have a tendency, it's either a side hustle or they kind of dabble into this based on whenever they can kind of fit it in. And so what I would say for a lot of freelancers is if you enjoy it to the point that you want it to really be your main gig, then I would treat it a little bit differently. And for me, that means that you have set some specific goals. Now, I know for freelancers, that is um, a lot of times they do not like goals. Number one is they don't like it when people set it for them. 
And even for them, they don't like that there's this timeline of having to achieve something by a specific date. And I get that. That's the beauty of the freelance, the freelancers, that they want to run when they want to run and they want to do it kind of at an, almost an organic pace. And, 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 I, and I can understand that perspective. In order to avoid getting into a comfort zone, that's what you need to do. You need to push yourself a little bit in order to get yourself away from getting into a comfort zone. I know many a freelancer that, you know, it's pulling in an extra 500, 1,000 bucks, 2,000 bucks a month, but it's nothing that they're ready yet to pull the trigger on because there is fear. It's the fear of what if I put it all in and the freelance thing totally fizzles and dies? I have the safety of this full-time gig or I'm in the safety of not going all in on this freelance gig that gives me the comfort that I'm not really failing. When it comes to the uncomfortableness, when it comes to the setting of goals, as a freelancer, where is that growth? Where do you want it to be? If you truly don't want to get stuck in a comfort zone, then what are you doing to push yourself? Now, you could be totally in love with the technical side of it, and so you're not motivated by the income driver. Totally understandable. Then what are you doing as a freelancer to be at the top of your game? Do you want to be speaking at conferences? Do you want to be a go-to individual? Do you want to be seen as the one, the person can ask that people can go to? So maybe there's an opportunity for you to run certain things or to be doing different things to be seen as the go-to individual. Maybe you do a blog, maybe you run a vlog, maybe you write a book. Uh, <clears throat> there's a Maybe you speak at the upcoming conferences. Uh, maybe you decide to just give out advice on a, on a weekly uh, presentation or conversation. Again, the world's your oyster in this perspective because only you know as a freelancer how wide that comfort zone is or how narrow. Doing something that you've never done is going to get the results that you've never had. And that's the struggle for a lot of freelancers, entrepreneurs, business owners, is that in order for us to stay away from that comfort zone, we need to be constantly pushing ourselves in an uncomfortable situation. Business Ask Me Anything, question number 15. Kim asks a great question. When do you know it's the right time to leave your current job for that side hustle or that entrepreneurship? I think a lot of people base it on finance. So they look at the next three months, they look at the next six months of their expenses, what they need to cover, mortgage, utility, groceries, the MUG method as I call it, M-U-G, mortgage, utility, groceries. Do I have, you know, let's say for me, the mortgage, utility, groceries equals 2,500 bucks. So if I need three months of that, that's 7,500. If I need six months of it, that's again, just double that number, 15,000. 
If I want an entire year, I want the flexibility to not be concerned about where that next paycheck is coming from. I need 30,000 bucks. So do I wait till I save that all up? Do I tap into that on a business loan? Do I tap into that on the home equity in my, my house? Do I have that in credit card credit limits? Um, only you can decide what you feel the most comfortable with. I would encourage anybody to avoid using debt as the mechanism of comfort because that only compounds onto your problems down the road. So I would not rely on credit cards. I would not encourage someone to use a line of credit. I would not rely upon those other things. Can you tap into maybe your more um, your 401k, uh, your current job? Absolutely you could. Um, again, that, that comes with penalties, that comes with fees if you decide to take it out early. So again, understand your own circumstances, talk it over with a, a financial professional if you need to. What I think is more impactful for me is when you've realized it's not giving you the satisfaction that you no longer have. So let's say, for example, you're working at, at, at an accounting firm and you want to go off and start your own um, personal training business. And you have a couple clients on the side that you've built up over at the, the local gym. I would have a conversation and say, what could I do about working as a personal trainer here full time? And then I would then reverse back to my mortgage utility groceries method. So if let's say, for example, I'm pulling in 80,000 bucks a year, no, let's just use it on a monthly basis to make it easy. Let's say as an engineer, I'm pulling in 10,000 bucks a month and my mug is 6,000. So I'm saving a, a decent chunk. I'm obviously paying a ton in taxes. Um, and then what I decide to do is as I look at, okay, if I were to be a personal trainer at the local gym, they would pay me 3,000 a month. So on my 10, I already have three. So I need to figure out how to make up that seven. Well, really, it's really the six. So if let's say I have three, but it's, again, takes out some, some for taxes. So let's say it's really like 2,000. I need to figure out how do I make up that other four. So now, I, again, I can, I can pull it out of savings. I can you know, talk it over with friends, talk it over with family. I can figure out how do I come up with that $4,000 number. Now, it could be that I'm going to bust my hump on every Saturday, Sunday you know, evenings, and I'm going to build it up to that 4000 So that way, the moment that I switch over, I can easily go into it. Um, another one is saying to yourself, okay, I'm going to go all in on me, and I'm going to spread that 50 hours a week that I'm typically working, and I'm going to shove that into prospecting and getting business. Um, for some people... It could be a relocation. It could be, um, you know, selling that house, getting into an apartment, reducing that mug method, the mortgage utility groceries. Can you drive that number so far low that you're able to live on very, very little in order to start building it, that, that side hustle to become the main hustle? I think that's probably doing a combination, right? So increase your savings where you're currently at, reducing your expenses at the same time, getting rid of cable. You don't need that. You're going to be running your business here. Um, maybe you can sell, um, move to a different apartment and be renting a little bit lower. Uh, maybe you talk it over with some buddies. They decide to go in with you and you you know, you know work in a, you, you share an apartment. You're looking at anything that you can scratch and claw to dug, dig down deeper and have 
as small of a nut as possible in having that mug method. And then that allows you to then move over quicker. So even though it could be a gut move, like, hey, I'm not feeling very satisfied at my current role. I don't see the enjoyment anymore. And that's why you want to make the move. You then put in the hard work. It really is. It's the emotional side because for a lot of people, money is emotional on figuring out how do we drive my monthly expenses down? How do I increase the revenue so that way at least covers the nut? And it could be having a conversation with a significant other and saying, hey, um, I want to do this. Can we figure out how we can do it in an effective way that's meaningful? Can you pick up the health benefits and that way it comes off of my end? And then by doing that, what what's the number we need to be able to hit in order for us to feel comfortable? And do we have enough of that in savings? And if we do, how many months will that last for? So I know it gets into a little bit of a logical conversation, Kim. I find it to be extremely powerful for people when they really start looking at it, it might be a lot more easy than they thought. The last one for some people that, again, this comes down to their risk level. Some people are able to just go all in and then immediately drive revenue. And not everybody has that sell skills, not everybody has that those prospects available, and lastly, a lot of people don't have that that ability to pull the gun or pull that, you know, entrepreneurial trigger that quickly. So sometimes I think it might be more valuable to have that step, you know, step-by-step method conversation to walk it through, to really feel comfortable. And I think for some people, it might persuade them to, to wait. And that's totally fine. Remember, the expectations of some kind of quick move is only in your own head. Nobody's waiting for you. you know, obviously, you might have business partners or financiers, but truly the expectation is only on yourself. So if it takes you two more years or three more years or four more years to get you to where you want to go, I don't see a problem in taking a step-by-step process to get there. Business Ask Me Anything, question number 16 comes from the Skimple Life. Do I think that's... I think it's negative that there's so many different options for millennials when it comes to career. And number one is, I don't necessarily know that there's more options as much as I think that we're more aware of the various options that exist. Engineering has always exist, existed, uh, or not always, but has existed for, you know, for decades now. And those engineering roles still exist. They might have morphed a little bit with a little more automation, but they still existed. You're just, we're doing different things. And so I think that the the amount of options out there can be negative if you have a hard time making a decision. So you have to know yourself by, if by talking to more and more people, will that make it more difficult for you to, to make a decision? Other times for some people, they already know where they want to go. And that, so for them, knowing, knowing that there's a lot of options out there doesn't necessarily change their mindset. So for example, if, you, if, you, if you're an attorney and you know you want to get into personal defense, right, defense attorney work, personal injury, workers' compensation, then you already know that you're going to say no to 
a multitude of other law offices and law firms and areas of practicing the law because it doesn't have your interest. And so it really still comes down to you, the person. It doesn't matter about the millennial versus demogra- you know, versus the baby boomers versus Generation X, Generation Y. It has no, or the I generation. That doesn't matter at all. If you know what you want to do from a career perspective, it doesn't matter how many options are out there. Now, if you don't know what you want to do, you need to get over the idea that you need to make the first best move at the right company, the right role, and that's never going to change and you can't change your job. Look, it's not written in the stone. And even if it was, go to a different tablet and start chiseling into it. Your career is fluid and it changes and you need to figure out that that's, you need to accept that reality that it's okay to make those changes. Business Ask Me Anything number 17, Sue Jonks asks, what role does communication skills play in developing one's professional personality and networking in today's time? Number one is, your communication style should not change your personality. Your personality should always be like who you are. Do not feel like you need to change your personality in order to fit in today's environment. Now, when I say that, it doesn't give you an excuse if you're an introvert to not develop your communication skills. What I'm saying though is if you're an introvert, you shouldn't feel pressure to be a public speaker, to be a motivational speaker. You shouldn't feel like you need to be the life of the party if you're an introvert. You need to know how you can develop those skills. And I would say that communication skills are the most important attribute to develop no matter what industry you exist in, no matter what technological advances occur, people skills, particularly communicating skills, are going to be extremely vital now and even more so in the future because all the tools that we have cell phone emails texts dms pms social media tools these are all ways to communicate and you want to make sure that you're good with all of them and that you're leveraging your best skill set in order to communicate. So, communication is not just talking. A big part of communication is listening. Are you asking good questions? Are you actually listening to what someone's saying? Are you restating? Are you reframing? Are you um, recognizing your tone? Are you pausing? Are you using inflection? How's your body language? How's your eye contact? So much goes into communication and listening that it should be taught and role played and taught more and practiced and implemented on a continual basis in every organization you'll find that most organizations that struggle, or if you look at any major flaws, is it typically comes down to 
lack of communication where people made assumptions because they didn't feel comfortable communicating. Business Ask Me Anything, question number 18 comes from Tusher44. They ask, what if, what advice would you give to someone in their late 20s that wants to learn, work, and then start their own business later? And so I'd say, yeah, go do it. I think that's totally fine. So if you're learning, I think what you're talking about is, what if I want to go to college and in my late 20s? I'd say do it. Now, you might say, okay, well, I'm in my late 20s, so I got these needs, I'm already working somewhere. Then can you do some night schools if you want to? Let's let's say you're working as you know a teacher and you want to become an electrician. Can you do some night classes to become an electrician? Can you be an apprentice for someone um, in the summertime so you're learning? The next is then you start working in that career and then you decide to go start your own business. Again, the only thing that we put ourselves when it comes to expectations of the timeline is ourselves. So it doesn't matter if you're 40 years old and you decide to do your own business. Let me give an example of a buddy of mine. He ran a business with a partner and they had over 75, no, I think, yeah, 75 to 100 employees and it was in uh, the window installation business for residential and commercial uh, properties. And in his, he realized in his early 30s that he didn't want to run the business anymore. Even though it was going really well, he wanted to become a physician. But he didn't even have an undergrad. And so he started taking night classes in order to get his undergraduate degree and then sat and passed the MCAT. So then at around 36 years old, he sold his business to his partner and then went into med school. And then finally, at the age of 41 or 42, graduated from med school and started residency. And so it wasn't until he was about 46 years old or 48 that he was actually after fellowship and you know residency was actually doing what he wanted to be doing as a prof- as as a physician the timelines that we create are of our own mind and so don't feel like you have to be quote unquote at a specific spot at a specific time and so you if you um to uh 44 want to learn work and then start your own business Go ahead and do it. I'd say, as you learn and work, gain as much skills and build your network as much as wide as possible. So that way, when you start your own business, you're ready to rock. Sure, Business Ask Me Anything, number 19, Marty Nass asks, or Martinez asks, how can starting your own business affect your career progression. And I'd say you've you've shifted your career progression into a different realm when you decided to start your own business because there's no more climbing a corporate ladder. There's no more promotions that someone else is going to give you. When you start your own business, everything is yours. And more likely than not, when you hire people, they're all going to work alongside with you. And so no longer is, is this hierarchy of you needing to move and get promotions up a corporate ladder, figuratively speaking. You now, from a career perspective, have now progressed into the realm of business owner, entrepreneur. And so all growth and all setbacks are all yours. 
where when you work in an organization as they have as an organization collectively they have setbacks you have those setbacks as collectively there's a downturn with you know acquiring new business you collectively as an organization now has those those struggles and the the benefits of starting your own business is that it's yours and that can be very thrilling for people at the same time that can be extremely terrifying for some people and i'd say overall it's a balance of both it's terrifying and thrilling at the same time and you're going to have moments of um, complete you know complete excitement and other times of total destitute and it's being able to stay the course a lot of times for a lot of entrepreneurs staring it in the face and going yeah i still will win though having that cockeyed optimism and then matching that optimism with unrelenting effort and work to make those visions a reality making those dreams come to life business ask me anything question number 20 Tina asks a three-part question so I'm going to ask the question I'm going to split up into three parts here. First question is what is the most uh, what accomplishments in your career, professional life are the most important to you? So number 1 is my, my professional career is important but it's not who I how I define myself. So I I just want to kind of give that context because for me it doesn't define who I am. my professional career is just something that i do that i love and that i enjoy doing it doesn't i don't like lay awake and like you know pause trophies or accomplishments like that so just to kind of give it some context but one of the things that i i am pleased proud of is when our um what was happening in Wisconsin was our firms were um there was a merger that occurred back in 1996 so it it occurred a long time ago but physically they never actually merged offices so they decided to back in 2011 merge all the, excuse 2012 merge all the offices and so um as one of the middle managers there um there was not going to be a manager in half of the state of Wisconsin and the upper peninsula of Michigan so i prepared a business plan to relocate Three hours drive time, so hundreds, hundreds of miles north to um, to center the central part of Wisconsin, and to cover two territories that were previously covered by two managers. So it was a cost savings proposal. At the same time, it was a relocation in order to. Um, m- develop the team and support the team of basically a quarter of our team and they were doing about a quarter so it was 26 advisors that was doing about 25 26% of the overall revenue now when the merger was happening we lost one of our producers and his team that equated to about 10% of my now new team's overall production So number 1 is I'm proud that I created this business plan, presented it to the managing partner, 
they agreed that it was going to be a lot easier. They knew my, my deliverables. That is a lot easier to manage me from afar than trying to hire someone and maybe even two people. And of course, then the cost savings was going to be there. And we were able to, even in the face of that loss, was able to have double digit growth. Now, some of it was my leadership uh, abilities and my recruiting of the team. At the same time, there was some success that was already laid out based on the great talent that was in my team. And so that was an accomplishment that I feel very pleased of. Number one, because because I got immediate feedback from the team that appreciated my value. Number two is there was some direct relation, people that I brought on that added to the overall uh, development and growth. So the next question, though, that Tina asks is, um, what did you reach there? Um, And so what did we reach? Number one is that I was a conference producer, so I was able to go on a little little, little vacation for the work. So we brought on talent. So we recruited talent. We developed the talent that was there. We created teams, and we had double-digit growth in spite of, or in spite of the loss of that that team that was um, that left our um, my left my organization. The next question is um, also, what important lessons did you learn from these accomplishments that you share with people? Um, so here's the lessons. Number one is if you see the opportunity for you to be able to kind of put yourself out there, then take that risk. So um, I bet big on me. Um, It was a cost to move me up there that the company paid for, and then now eyes were on me. Moving from one location to another isn't very common in, in financial services in my industry, and so I was able to do it. And number two is by being able to do it, um, if I was either going to fail big in, in high sight or I was going to win big. And guess what? We, we won big. Um, the next thing is to deliver. So not only do you have the business plan, so you have the intelligence, the strategy behind it, but then you execute on it. So I was driving anywhere between three to 4,000 miles a month to have hands-on development with these individuals in order to succeed. The next thing that I would say is be passionate, love what you're doing. And the last one is from a leadership perspective, listen and ask how you can help. I'm a believer in servant leadership. And what I mean by that, because it's a cliche phrase that's being used right now is my common question that I'll ask people that report to me is, how can I help you? What can I do to help you win? And I'll ask that in a multitude of different ways in that initial conversation. So by being able to ask that question and listen to the answers and figure out what you can do to deliver on their expectations and their requests is extremely powerful. For a lot of managers though, They'll ask, what can they do? And they don't really listen. They wait to respond and to, to, to tell the, or the, to give the company jargon. So they're not actually listening to what the people, their employees are saying. That is not helpful. Leadership truly is best done when you can help the team rise and individuals develop and by helping them get to where they want to go, 
they'll help you get to where you want to go. Business Ask Me Anything, question number 21 comes from Jajan, and he, he or she, they, they ask, um, do you believe that with hard work and focus, you can do whatever you set your mind to? And I'll answer that with a resounding yes with an asterisk. I think sometimes people don't really want what they say they want. They might say they want millions of dollars. They might not put in the effort though, the work, to get the million dollars. Sometimes people say that they want to become a professional athlete, but they're not willing to put in the study time to learn about the upcoming teams that they're going to play against in order to be seen as, in order to qualify themselves as a true professional athlete. So for example, if let's say I'm a pitcher, if I truly want to be a good pitcher professionally, that means I would study how people hit for every team I'm going to come up to. So I know what they struggle with. I know that they can't really hit a curveball when it's in the in, thrown in the inside. And so by knowing that, I'm going to throw majority of the time into that inside with a curveball at a certain mile per hour, right? Because I know that person. Because I've put in the time to study. If you look at a lot of professional athletes that got there, they put in an insane amount of study, um, not study, work, athletically. The fitness, the hours in the gym, the hours lifting, the hours conditioning in order to make themselves the best possible. So if we look at that professionally, hard work and focus can help you accomplish a multitude of great things, maybe even your dreams. The question truly we have to ask ourselves is, are we really dreaming those things and the hard work, does that translate then to that? So let me just give you an example. When Nike first started, Buck Knight, Phil Knight, when he started Nike, it wasn't Nike. It was a company called Blue Ribbon Company. Blue Ribbon. And they were selling a Japanese brand of shoe. For years, that's how they did it. Out of the trunk of cars, at track meets, at college meets. Back in the 1962 was when it started. So back in when jogging, like, so one of the, um, right now we think about running because we have all these different events, 5Ks, 25Ks, half marathons, da, 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 da. Those didn't really exist back in the day. One of his co, um, you know, one of the initial investors and one of the partners that started Nike with him was his coach from Oregon. And he wrote a book called Jogging. Like, that's how foreign the concept was of running for exercise. Basically, running was only typically done for those that ran in track, Olympic athletes. And so Nike really wasn't born yet. Um, and so that's where I think a lot of times people struggle with this idea of, you know, if I put in hard work, I'll get, you know, I have my mindset on these different things. Do you really want it? So I'll give you another example. Uh, when I was younger, I wanted a Porsche 911. Well, in my mind though, as a kid, I, didn't, I, I wasn't married with children. 
And so my 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 car choice completely changed because having a Porsche is completely impractical when I have this huge family. Even a sedan sometimes became impractical. But nonetheless, car, again, and, and, I, and I aged and I changed. And so the, the Hyundai Equus, a, a four-door sedan, became the car that I wanted versus this Porsche 911 because my taste changed. I wanted AC. I wanted, you know, um, I wanted, you know, I was still wanted a lot of horsepower, but I wanted to have a decent trunk so I could put golf clubs and, 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 you know, laptops and, and things like that. And then I wanted to have a good seat in the back. At the same time, I wanted to to not be too status symbol. Porsche to me has this status symbol to it to it that for what I do professionally uh, as a business owner can be seen as somewhat of a distraction. So make sure that you know exactly what you want. At the same time, as you're busting your hump and making things happen, it, it's okay to change your vision on where you want things to go.